everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. It's me, Dave Wakeman. Uh, how's everybody holding up? Send me an email. Let me know. I know it is a very uncertain time. We're heading into the fall, and who knows what in the world's going to happen. Uh, it's Dave at DaveWakeman.com. I really want to hear from you. I want to know how you're holding up, everything that's going on. Um, you know, If you need somebody to talk to, I have tried to make sure that everybody knows you can talk to me. I'm here for you. So let me know, DavidDaveWakeman.com. My guest on today's episode is a great one. This is a conversation I have been holding back because I didn't want it to get lost in the kind of end of summer-ish, uh, end of unofficial summer-ish uh, clutter. It's with Dory Clark. Dory is a longtime friend of mine. Uh, she is fantastic. She is a marketing consultant, and one of her primary focuses is on professional reinvention. So... As people in the world of live entertainment, uh, businesses all over the world have been struggling to find footing due to the pandemic, focus their businesses, uh, figure out what to do with themselves now. I thought it would be great to talk to Dory because she is my go-to resource on all things about professional reinvention. So I'll tell you a little bit more about Dory in a moment. But first, let me remind you. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast, hopefully you like me. Hopefully you listen all the time. Uh, check out two newsletters I do. The first one is called The Business of Value. It is the longest running thing I think I've done. It is a strategy newsletter. It goes out every Sunday morning. It's at businessofvalue.substack.com. And I send a note with some action items, some observations, and some analysis so that people can put their businesses in positions to be successful. Uh, now, as the pandemic has continued to uh, create turmoil in our lives, I've spent a lot of time on helping people rethink value proposition, uh, focus on opportunities, how to create opportunities, things like that. You can also, if you get are into the world of live entertainment and sports, concerts, theaters, things of this nature, you can get my Talking Tickets newsletter. It's at talkingtickets.substack.com. That's talkingtickets.substack.com. And each Friday, it's five stories from the world of entertainment from all over the place. Uh, last week, I had, I think, India, Australia, uh, London, the U.S., and maybe even some South America worked in there. You can get that at talkingtickets.substack.com. Um, the live events and entertainment business has been hit harder than... Uh, anybody else it seems like during the pandemic so i try to come up with some analysis i try to give people opportunities and ways to get their businesses straightened out um doing my damnedest to try to you know give people some hope and some ways to get their businesses uh, alive and get them back thriving as quickly as possible um, so talkingtickets.substack.com make sure you also check out my friends at booking protect the Global Leaders in Refund Protection. Uh, I have been exchanging uh, messages with Kat and Simon today. Uh, they say hello to everybody. Um, but check out the Booking Protect homepage. It's at bookingprotect.com forward slash home. Uh, there is a blog there, a great blog. Uh, they shared some lessons and how they dealt with their summer. Uh, Kat wrote a really great article about rebuilding relationships after the pandemic. Um, there's, we're going to put some more stuff on up there about pricing and revenue generation as events become more and more common again. 
That way everybody can kind of get an understanding of how to generate revenue, how to re-engage with their audiences, and how to uh, get their businesses growing again. So check them out at bookingprotect.com forward slash home. Also, check out the We Will Recover project. This is something great been put together by A&R Martin and the Activity Stream team to help consolidate all kinds of ideas about recovery, reinvention, rethinking the business of concerts, theater, performing arts, sports, all in one place. It's at wewillrecover.live. Um, 20-something organizations from around the world, including me, NTIX, the TPC conference uh, put together by Angela and Joe in Australia, uh, the Ticketing Professionals Conference put together by uh, Andrew, Carroll, and their team in Birmingham, England. Um, Book and Protect has shared some content. Stay 22, QQ, uh, Intix. I mean, I'm, I know I'm forgetting people. Made Media, Jeez uh, Louise, there's so many people. It's so, so many great resources. Make sure you check it out at wewillrecover.live and check out the Activity Stream folks at activitystream.com. And then, finally, if you have it and you don't know, maybe you live under a rock at this point, I don't know, there's an election going on in the United States on November 3rd. Uh, I have uh, been giving my efforts as much as possible to an organization called IVotedConcerts.com. It's at hashtag IVotedConcerts on the Twitter. Uh, it is a organization that's dedicated to the bipartisan effort to get people to vote. Um, the U.S. has the lowest voter turnout rate of any industrialized nation, I believe. Uh, it's a tremendously low percentage of people that vote. Um, Emily White, who's the executive director, the person who came up with the idea, she's fantastic. Um, she's trying to get people to make sure that uh, everybody's registered, everybody knows how to vote, and everybody votes. And so if you vote, uh, take a picture of you and your ballot if you're mailing it in, or take a picture of you at your polling place, mail it in, to the website and you'll get access to concerts, uh, videos, all kinds of things from athletes, comedians, artists from all over the world um, and all over the country. So check that out. I voted concerts.com. If you can support the effort, please do. It's super important. Um, it doesn't matter who you vote for, but make sure you vote. It's like the lowest cost way um, and the most vital part of being a citizen is to vote and make sure that your voice is represented. So check that out, ivotedconcerts.com. Back to Dory. So Dory Clark has written three best-selling books, Reinventing You, Stand Out, and Entrepreneurial You, and they all focus around this idea of professional reinvention. Uh, Dory um, has like one of the most interesting backgrounds. She studied theology. Uh, she worked on a presidential campaign. She ran a nonprofit. She was a, she was a marketing consultant before she figured out exactly what her standout idea was. Um, she brings a really, really tremendous um, holistic and unique perspective to the idea of professional reinvention. So we start out with the Dory Clark um, launch story, which was... Um, Probably she finds herself losing her job uh, on the worst, maybe the worst day ever or the second worst day ever um, because she lost her job as a journalist on September 10th, 2001. So we start out talking there. Uh, we go through all kinds of stuff. We talk about mindset. 
We talk about how the roles that she's played and the jobs that she's had over the years have helped influence her thinking as far as reinvention and adding value. We walk through through how people can rethink their value. We talk about how people can, um, you know, take steps while they're employed or while they're still sort of, um, you know, maybe have unemployment or whatever to position themselves for the next thing they want to do. We talk about how you can monetize your ideas. We talk about how you can network effectively during the pandemic. We talk about scenario planning. We talk about LinkedIn. We talk about um, trends. We talk about marketing. We talk about, um, you know, how to find new ideas. We talk about all of these really, really tremendous things. Uh, and due to the nature of the way the pandemic is unfolding, um, I couldn't think of somebody who would be better to talk about the idea of thinking through your value, understanding where you can add value in the market, how to reinvent yourself than the person who wrote a trilogy of books on the topic. So without anything else from me, here's my conversation with Dory Clark. I hope you like it. I want to welcome my very good friend, Dory Clark, to the Business of Fun podcast. Dory, it's so exciting to see you on screen and talk to you. How are you? Hey, Dave. I'm good. Good to be speaking with you. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Um, I've been running a survey with the people who kind of follow me and listen to me and pay attention to me for whatever reason that is. Um, I ask myself why every day, but that's a different story for a different podcast. But they were they'd really been interested about reinvention and kind of reimagining their careers and thinking through how they can approach um, their businesses and their lives and their careers right now. So I said, well, you know, uh, I'm not the best expert for that, but I do know the best experts expert for that. And I don't know that you uh, started out to write this trilogy of books that would be perfect for this situation, but you did because you've written uh, three great books, uh, Reinventing You, Stand Out, and Entrepreneurial You that touch on this topic in great, great detail. So thank you for being here and thanks for talking about this. To set the stage, though, I think we should tell everybody the Dory Clark origin story, which um, until this year probably you ended up starting down the path on this topic in the worst possible time ever. Um, can you tell a little bit about the story about how you lost your job on September 10th, 2001? Yes, absolutely. I was a newspaper journalist, which, you know, now uh, people hear that and, and they sort of nod and sigh with pity. But the the interesting thing um, sociologically was that the year 2000 was actually the best year ever, the best year on record for the newspaper industry. Pro- profits were rolling in. And then all of a sudden, things dramatically changed. That was when the internet, when Craigslist started to decimate the advertising. And so that was just starting to take hold. And I ended up being, uh, because I was one of the recent hires, I ended up being one of the first victims. So I got laid off on September 10th, 2001. I figured, oh, well, okay, you know, tomorrow I'll start my job search. And of course, it was, uh, it was not a great day historically to be starting one's job search. And uh, up, you're exactly right. Up until now, it was probably one of the scarier times historically to be starting to look for work. So you brought up the scary aspect of it. And one thing I wanted to ask you about is because people are sort of in limbo and they have kind of been, I don't know how to frame this question. So if I ask it the wrong way, everybody forgive me and realize it's me, not Dory or anybody else. But maybe people have lost their jobs early, you know, in March. So early in the pandemic, or maybe they're starting to lose their jobs now as some of the, especially in the state, some of the financial resources have um, 
elapsed or have it been renewed or whatever. How do you deal emotionally with this great period of great uncertainty? Um, you know, a situation where you don't know what the future is going to look like, where um, you might be seeing your industry collapse around you or change fundamentally, you know, because I think for me, at least in situations where I've been in a similar issue, I didn't pay enough attention to the emotional part of it. Yeah, I think you raise a really important point, Dave. And there, there's a couple of things to keep in mind. The first is that this is a really important time for all of us to get as much agency as we possibly can. There are so many things during the pandemic where we feel like we have no control over. And in fact, we don't have any control over those those things. We don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know what exactly the the economic shakeout is going to be. And so it becomes really important to find areas that we can control, whether it is taking courses and doing skills development, whether it is setting out some kind of a project for ourselves. I mean, as we were chatting beforehand, we were talking about um, the, the fact that I'm working on a book this summer, which you know, is sort of the perfect COVID self-directed project. COVID or no, I know that I will be able to, to write this book if I am disciplined enough. So um, that's part of it. Uh, so I, I think agency is one key issue. And the other is thinking about mindset and our own self-conception. And this is definitely a piece that doesn't get talked about quite as often as I think it should. Um, when I was laid off as a journalist, my immediate thought was, oh, well, I'll just go get another job as a journalist. And of course, that's, that's logical. That was what I wanted to do. That was what I wanted to be. But something that sunk in for me over time was, you know, Dory, you're not getting another job as a journalist. At first, I just thought it was, oh, it's like a recession or whatever. But it dawned on me very, very slowly that it was a structural change in the economy and no one was hiring. And it just seemed um, like I needed to adapt. And I was, I was very slow to realize that. And, and I think, you know, that makes sense, right? You've made a decision about your life. Um, you want to pursue this. You worked hard to make that decision. And so you don't really want to change on a dime. You want to give this path that you forged uh, the respect that it deserves. But um, ultimately, I think it, it is important to recognize sometimes we might be clinging to a particular thing that we've done or that we've wanted to do. But if it looks like it's not happening or it's not happening at least for quite a while, we may need to evaluate other options. And so in my case, about six months after I lost my job, I got presented with an option to become the spokesperson for a political campaign for a governor's race. And I actually turned, turned the offer down at first because I said, no, no, I want to stay being a journalist. But I... I literally hung up the phone and for the next hour, I just thought about it and I realized, wait a minute, you know, this, this is an opportunity that I probably should not turn down. You know, maybe it is time to pivot. And so it, it, I did that and it set me off on, a, on another direction. But ultimately, it was a good decision in the fact that uh, the journalism industry really did continue to contract and I think op opportunities would have been very hard there. Yeah, and that's uh, continued. That was a trend that you identified. So if you said it took you six months to identify it, I mean, that's a trend that has continued over, I guess, the next 19 years now. Uh, you know, and I guess the thing about it is, it's the self-conception, which 
now I'm going to have trick people into thinking I'm a very good podcaster because I don't know if any of the other podcasts that I've heard you talk about, you talked about that as eloquently. So the trick's on you. I, <laughs> Dory's the smart one. But um, taking some, you know, knowing that you have to recreate yourself or understanding there's a structural change in your industry because a lot of people that listen to this are built out, of, come from live entertainment. So sports, concerts, theater, all of these things. I think the changes that we're seeing in these businesses are fundamental and they are going to be, um, if they do come back in some sort of form of, you know, air quotes here, normal, um, it's going to take a while. And so one of the things about reinventing that you talk about in a lot of your articles and in your books is understanding what you're good at and how it applies to other areas. How would you suggest people approach that now? Because I think it, you know, if it's important in general, just to understand where you add value and where you can create value and change for your business and your organization. Now it's a hundred times more important, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's really true. And one of the lessons that I learned in the course of researching my book, Reinventing You, is that it is so important for us as individuals to take the lead on understanding what our skills are and what we can do and how they're transferable. Because the truth is most other people, most people around us are exceptionally uncreative when it comes to thinking about what we are able to do. They have, they have the most narrow, simplistic views. It's like, oh, well, you were a journalist. I guess you could write something. Or, oh, you were a helicopter pilot. I guess you could fly things. I mean, I mean it's, it's just, it's stunning. And so we know that if you are, for instance, as, as one woman was that I profiled in Reinventing You, she was a helicopter pilot in combat conditions in Iraq, okay? If you do that and you're managing, you know, she, you know if you're, you know, I say managing in air quotes, you know, if you, if you are the leader of a team of 30 people who are army officers, you're picking up a lot more than just how to fly a plane. But people have just an extraordinarily simplistic view about the transferability of skills. And so you need to really dig and to be able to tell the story that, no, 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 it's not just that I know how to fly a helicopter. I also know how to lead people in extraordinarily stressful life or death situations. And maybe that could translate. You have to really uh, connect the dots for them and, and help them understand it because they are not going to do that on their own. And so one analogous story that, that comes to mind for me is actually about a, a guy that I profile in Reinventing You. And he was a nonprofit advocate. He was, uh, his name was Craig. And he had a dream job. He loved his job so much. He was uh, really into bicycling. And so he was a professional bicycle advocate. And he, uh, he ad advocated and lobbied for rail trails, um, you know, where, where they take a railroad corridor and they turn it into bike paths. I mean, the perfect job. But his organization was going to consolidate offices and they told him, okay, you either have to move to a different state, which he did not want to do, or uh, sorry, you're out of a job. And th this was pretty devastating for him because it's not like there's a huge number of places that would hire him to go advocate for rail trails. Like this is not like, oh, you're an accountant, you can do it at another company, right? There's like kind of one game in town. But Craig really was a creative thinker. And so he's like, okay, I want to advocate for rail trails. There's like one company that will hire me to do it. You know, they're not, they're not letting me do it. What do I do? And so he actually um, 
was ex an extraordinarily entrepreneurial thinker, he had always had a dream, a sort of separate dream to be a B&B &B owner. And so he bought his own bed and breakfast. He used it as his opportunity. He bought his own bed and breakfast next to a rail trail. And he was able to market it and fill it from day one with all the people that he had met during his time as a rail trail advocate who loved the idea of taking a rail trail themed vacation. And he earned so much money from the bed and breakfast and then later from becoming a realtor that he was able to advocate for rail trails on his own time as a volunteer on the side. So sometimes we just have to come up with creative solutions. Yep. And I think it's, um, it, people get wed to this idea. And I think it's sort of the culture we live in right now, which is if it's my job title, then that's what people are really thinking I am. And, you know, it's been sort of, um, you expressed it very well. And this is something I tell people all the time. I go, probably your job title is a poor reflection of who you are and what you do. Uh, you know, because I mean, if you're a marketing manager, what does that mean? Because there's like a hundred different ways that you can market. Right. So I really encourage people to pay, you know, listen to that answer again, because it comes into this next question, which I'm almost certain I'm going to um, fumble with here because it's a two-parter and, you know, complex questions, maybe uh, get, I don't want this to get lost, but one of the big things that you talk about and stand out is big ideas. And when you're thinking through this process of who you are and what you really add to an organization, one way to reposition yourself either in your industry or outside of the industry is by coming up with a big idea. And in preparation for our conversation, I, you know, I went through the process and we can talk about that later of thinking through what my big idea was, because again, a pandemic is probably a good time to make sure that what I'm focusing on is the right thing. But can you explain how that would, what that would look like for people, you know, take this value that you create and make it a big idea because that'll help. At least I think if I'm not misstating this, people either position themselves in a new industry or reposition themselves in the industry they're in. Yeah, absolutely, Dave. And I also just want to kind of put an asterisk on it a little bit, which is it is certainly far easier said than done to just like, oh, go, come up with a big idea. Uh, that, is, that is something that often takes a while. <laughs> and uh, people put a lot of pressure on themselves. Like they're like sort of beating themselves up like, why don't I have a big idea? And uh, I definitely don't want to do that. What I do think is important is for people, for everybody, for every professional to start taking the steps that can lead you to a big idea. And so, for instance, one of the things that I am a, a really big fan of is content creation. And I, I say it deliberately that way because there's a lot of forms that it could take, right? It doesn't necessarily mean you have to write or it doesn't mean you have to speak, but somehow sharing your ideas, whether it's starting a podcast like this, whether it is blogging, uh, you know, doing videos, whatever, sharing your ideas is extraordinarily valuable because if you want to make yourself known to the, the people that you respect, you know, people who might hire you, people you might work with so that they know who you are so that they don't treat you as just another kind of random commodity, it's really useful for them to get to know who you are and how you think. 
And that's not to say you have to have, you know, solved the universe that, you know, oh, I've come up with my big idea already. It, it can take years. That's okay. But if you start sharing your ideas, whether it's just, you know, your perspective on news developments, whether it's interviewing other people that you respect and helping them shine, whether it's providing something useful, maybe you can write an article about, oh, you know, here's some common problems that people have in my field. And here are a few things that I've tried that work, you know, just a way to be helpful. That is a way that sets you apart so that other people can start to say, you know what, she seems pretty smart. I like the way she thinks. And then when it comes time for hiring to happen, you know what, I can guarantee you that if your name is familiar to them and then it's a bunch of strangers on the other resumes, you are going to be the one who is, you know, first in line for the callback. People love it when they're like, oh, you know what? I think I saw her video. Yeah, let's bring her in. Let's talk to her. Yeah, no, th this is great. And, it, and you, I mean, you're the greatest podcast guest in the world, I think is the title you gave, you, you said you wanted to be. I, I don't remember exactly how you said it, but I, I mean, I would point people to two things that you do, which is on LinkedIn, you do the DC in two minutes. Am I stay, is that the right title? Yeah, for this? it's a video series I do. Yeah. And then you have your newsletter that's on LinkedIn. You have all kinds of things, but if people, I think, get a little afraid of content creation, um, not you or me, because like, I, I mean, if somebody does more than me, it's you. Um, but you have a great download on your website that helps people put their ideas into a framework that helps them create like articles and blogs more quickly. So before we get this gets lost, I want to point people towards this real quick, if I can. Oh, thank you, Dave. Sure. <laughs> Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, I, I do. I do have a, have a free resource. Uh, if, if folks go to doryclark.com slash content, uh, they can actually get some, some free tips to think, to think through how they can create content more quickly and easily. Yeah, no, I, I actually have used it, used it uh, and I use it frequently because it's very helpful when I get stuck because it helps, you know, break the th process down really, really simply. And it helps you overcome the challenge of, you know, feeling stuck and kind of being uncertain about where you want to go with a piece of content. And I think that I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you maybe agree with this. It's like, don't let perfect be stand in the way of doing something because you're going to get better. You're going to improve. Um, if I look back at some of the first podcasts or blogs or articles I wrote, um, or even Lord knows the first time I publicly, I, I spoke in public, I would have never, ever continued if I let those things stop me. So you have to like just push through it and realize you're going to get better. And people are, their attention span is short. They'll forget that you wrote something awful pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, one of the best lessons that I ever learned from my, from my short time as a journalist is that you, the deadline is what matters, you know, whether, uh, whether you think the piece is done or not, as long as it's not, libelous <laughs> it, it's done it, when the deadline comes <laughs> it's done so you just you just go and, and you do it you know i think too many people get very very precious about it and they get very hung up about it oh my god people are gonna look at it and what will they say you know what you'd be lucky if they looked at it most people won't even look at it so mm -hmm. we just we need to have the, the dose of reality and the dose of humility that like what matters is starting to do it it does not have to be perfect because honestly, most people will not notice or care. But, but, but the good news is by the time they actually do notice, by the time you've, you've been doing it long enough for them to notice, by then you'll actually be quite good. That's exactly right. I mean, if you look back at these old statistics, I mean, if I would get 
five people to read the blog a day, it would be great. And I mean, now that like I have a, a little bit of an audience, I mean, I feel like I'm a, a fairly competent writer, but if I had never started, I wouldn't be in a position where I had to worry about being a fairly competent writer. So, I mean, I want to emphasize that point because people see like what maybe you do or what I do or any number of other people do, and they expect that we started out this way. And I, I think I can, I'll speak for myself and go, no, no, no. There were a lot of uh, tumbleweeds blowing down the blog highway for me uh, for a long, long time. And it's just consistency that had, you know, that really is for me, the key point in content creation and just saying, I have to do this. This is like my job. I required to do it every day or required to create something of value for people every day so they could discover me. Yes. Very good point. Yeah. All right. So I had a question come in and I thought it was a really great one um, because in entrepreneurial you, you talk about the different streams of revenue. And so a couple of people asked me about, um, you know, kind of shifting their career and moving in a different direction while they still have a job. And, you know, it, does it have to be kind of an all or one situation where either you're all in on your old job and you're, or you're all in on your new career? Or can, is there a way to manage the process of evolving into whatever the next iteration of you is? And how do you make money that while you're doing that to help make it feasible for you to move into a new direction? Yeah, such an important question, Dave. And I'm glad you asked it because moving into a new field from a position of strength, you know, when, when you already have a job, uh, that is the best thing to do. That is the, the absolute best thing to do. It is really useful and important. And I would encourage everybody, if you are thinking about uh, shifting to a new career or building up a side gig, do it absolutely while, you know, simultaneously. I did it wrong. You know, when I started my business uh, 14 years ago now, I had, I had a job prior to launching my own business as a nonprofit executive director, and I left my job. And then, only then, did I worry about like, gosh, how am I going to get some clients? Gee, what's that going to look like? Which is ridiculous. But I didn't know. I didn't know any entrepreneurs at the time. You know, I just, I didn't have any idea. And so I did it wrong, I can say definitively. The idea culturally that like, oh, you need to take the leap, that is asinine. Absolutely not. What you should be doing is de-risking the equation as much as possible. And the way to do that is to get, now this part I did, you need to train yourself while you're on somebody else's dime. And so for about a year, I took a bunch of classes. I read a million books and I took every adult ed class you could possibly imagine on starting a business and different things you needed to know about business. I did that part right. But you also need to start actually doing the thing nights and weekends. Now, getting paid, it takes a while, right? Because no, frankly, nobody wants to pay like an absolute rookie who's just learning something. So you want to do whatever you do for free for a while to practice, to see if you like it, to actually get good. And you do it in exchange for testimonials and for referrals. And you do that for a while. And then eventually, if people like it, they will refer you to their friends and colleagues. And those are people who will pay you. Uh, they may not pay you a lot. In the early days, you know, you'll probably be working for reduced rates. Again, that's okay. That's okay. You are doing it for experience. You are doing it to learn and to just prove the concept that like, okay, people will pay for this type of thing. It is a thing that humans want. 
once you have a strong brand, once you get a stream of referral clients, then you can start charging actual money. And at a certain point, you will reach a tipping point where you have validated the premise, you have enough referrals, you have enough testimonials, and some money coming in where you can say, you know what, I can flip the switch. If I want to leave my job now, I can. But, uh, but I would actually delay that longer than you might imagine so that you don't have to take any leaps. You can just sort of saunter and, and step over into the next thing. <laughs> it's just a natural move. Um, goodbye. Hello. <laughs> uh, now, you talked about, so through this conversation, we talked about uh, content creation, and we talked about volunteering, and we talked about getting referrals. Um, you know, and I would say that if there's any key that I've found over the years, which I guess we've been in business the same amount of time either, and I would tell people, again, don't do what I did at the start because I completely screwed up everything. So uh, I, it took me a long time to learn it. But right now, at the heart of all those things, those opportunities are created by networking. And knowing that we're in the middle of a pandemic, so it's not like I can meet you for dinner like we, we had before. Um, how do you network with people now? You know, because didn't you, I believe you wrote a uh, article on HBR for the Harvard Business Review blog about networking today. And I think it's very important because I think we were discussing this before. Um, we're still able to talk to people. We're still able to communicate with people, connect with people and, you know, get some stuff done despite the pandemic. So how would you talk to people about networking right now? Yeah, it, you, you, your research is impeccable, Dave. Nicely done. Uh, it is. I'm true. great. I'm great at this. <laughs> you are. You're great. I love it. <laughs> yes, I did write an article about virtual networking, and so basically, uh, as as you alluded to, uh, for a number of years since I moved to New York, I have been hosting regular networking dinners in the city, and of course, you know that's that's a lot of fun. You're you're getting together with people. You're bringing them in the same room. They're getting to hang out. Uh, this, of course, was no longer possible with the pandemic when restaurants closed. So I took the gatherings and I brought them online. So my uh, friend Alyssa Cohn and I, where we, uh, we co-host the dinners, we have now been co-hosting uh, virtual cocktails. And so for 90 minutes at a, at a pop, we will have uh, these gatherings. And actually, you know, there's, there's some disadvantages, of course, because you know, it, it is fun just as humans to be in the room together. But there's also some advantages. For instance, uh, a notable one is that now that you're doing it virtually, the people don't have to be in New York. They can be anywhere. And so we actually just did one this past weekend. Specifically, we did it at lunchtime. Uh, and the reason we did it was we called it our European cocktails. And so we only invited people in Europe and, uh, and, and those, you know, sort of uh, EMEA uh, time zones so that uh, we could, we could invite them. And that was great. You mean people don't just drive up for the afternoon to have dinner with, with Dory. I mean, you know, like, I mean, nobody else does that. I mean, come on, that's crazy. Maybe some people, maybe some very <laughs> smart people do that. That's exactly right. And this, that, that four hour drive has paid off immeasurably over the years. So, <laughs> so, so let me, uh, because I know you're, you're busy. See, Dory Clark, she's busy. She cut out time just for us, see? Uh, but I want to ask you, what's been like um, something that's been really surprising that you learned during the pandemic? Um, and then your approach to teaching people about how to apply these skills to their own lives. Has, have things changed? Or has there been something really surprising or different that you really could point to? Well, in, you know, in terms, in terms of the pandemic, I think that there's, uh, there's a few things. I mean, certainly there is an intensification of pre-existing trends. Um, 
I had been for the past five plus years, six, six years, really since 2014, I had been aggressively pursuing a strategy around online learning. And I did not clearly do it because I thought, oh, there's a pandemic coming. So let me prepare. I wish I could uh, claim that. <laughs> I did not. You didn't uh, ask the magic eight ball? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, missed, I missed the boat on that, Dave. But, uh, but what I did predict, which was a lot more banal, was I thought, okay, um, I might get tired of traveling. That might be one. Or another is that there could be a recession. And when there is a recession, almost always one of the first things that get cut are conference budgets. And so I was making a lot of my money as a keynote speaker. And I thought, you know, that is something that could be in peril if we are no longer able to have conferences. I didn't think it would be that you couldn't travel, but I thought, you know, they, they, they might not have big conferences and they might not want to pay a speaker 25 grand. So I thought, what else can I do? So over the past six years, I've very aggressively been cultivating this strategy around online education. And fortunately that has paid off in a significant way uh, this year when everything's gone online and many people have realized Oh my gosh, I you know I need to retool things. So I've done a lot of work with LinkedIn Learning. I have my own online courses. Um, you know, I have a course you actually mentioned about content creation called the Rapid Content Creation Masterclass. I have a uh, course called the Recognized Expert Community, and those things have been really helpful. But I, I think the underlying premise, which is one that has really been hammered home for me, is that when scenario planning is done right you know, when people are really thinking about the future and what might happen, the key is, number one, you need to generate multiple possibilities of different futures. I mean, we don't know. Things could break either way, right? It could be that suddenly we decide because of the pandemic, cities are done, right? No one's going to live in cities anymore. Uh, New York real estate is going to plummet. Everybody's going to move to, you know, their own uh, place in, you know, their own ranch in Wyoming. It's going to be a different world. Or it could be, you know what, when this ends, God willing, in six months, 12 months, whatever it is, people are going to be so sick of being apart. Cities have never going to have seen such a boom, because everybody wants to be together. Every, everybody is going to be so hungry for human contact. And so whatever it is, we need to map out different scenarios. But the key is that you need to find actions that you can take that will be useful to you regardless of the context. You know, what, what actions can you take that will be helpful even in multiple scenarios. And it turns out online courses are one of them, but we need to look for those commonalities that, you know what, no matter how things break, if I do A, B, or C, this is going to be advantageous to me in those moments. And if we can, if we can come up with strategies like that, that puts us so far ahead of the competition. Yeah, that's a really great point. And it kind of, um, if I captured it, because earlier I mentioned that in preparation for talking to you, I had gone rethought some of the value proposition and sort of the big idea that was driving me. Um, I think if I could sum this up, like my big idea as a way to share with everybody, it's I wanted to focus more on strategy just in general before this came up. And I was playing with it and I was going, why do I want to deal with the strategy more? And it because it, it, to me, it eventually unfolded that in a world where there's so much competition and there's so much noise and there's so such a so many p- 
people driven to be the same, that if you don't have a good strategy that helps you differentiate yourself and identify who you want to be and become, you're destined to fail. And, and, and that was sort of the thing. And I think what your work highlights even better than my rambling statement now is that you need to be comfortable identifying who you are, what you are, what you want to work on and how you want to focus on the people you can serve because being specific is going to be a, a really key to your success going forward. And that's going to be universal no matter what the market looks like, no matter if we're in a recession or a pandemic or a depression or a booming economy. I think I've got that right. Amen. Yes. Well, look at me. I, I, my research was great. Now, before I do let you go, we have to I want to point people towards where they can find you, but also because this is mostly live entertainment people that are going to listen to this thing. Um, once the pandemic is over, we have to win you an EGOT. Is that right? Because you already have, I think it's an Emmy and you're working on a musical so we can get you a Tony and then we'll have to figure out how to get the E um, or the G and the O, right? <laughs> Well, so thank you. You are very, you are very kind. Technically, so I was a, I was a, uh, an, an assistant producer on a uh, Grammy-winning jazz album. So, uh, oh, so we have to get the E. We got to. My research team. I'm going to fire him. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> yeah. So, so how is the musical going? Because that is something we, you, we've been talking about for a, a year or more. We we have yeah absolutely we actually so I'm part of the uh, the BMI Layman Angle Musical Theater Workshop which is a, uh, a premier training institution for for the next generation of musical theater talent that is that is how they bill it but it it has been an amazing program that's been going on for fifty plus years that BMI runs and uh, we actually this summer uh, had our capstone project for the end of our. Uh, second year, you know, we sort of wrapped wrapped it up. Uh, so it's actually available on YouTube if anybody uh, if anybody wants to check it out. I uh, a colleague, a, a composer, uh, and I uh, collaborated on the Secret Adversary, which is a spy novel by Agatha Christie, and we created a short uh, short excerpts from a musical adaptation of that, which is up on YouTube. So uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about that. I'm working on some other projects as well. So rock and rolling with uh with being a musical theater lyricist that's what i'm talking about dory where do people find you because if they haven't already followed you and figured you out now i want to make sure they don't miss you know learning more about you and what you work are working on I appreciate it, Dave. Thank you so much. So uh, probably the, the best place, the hub, is my website, doryclark.com. It's D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K. It has actually more than 700 free articles available on the site that I've written for places like Forbes and the Harvard Business Review with a lot of career advice. But one thing I'll actually mention specifically, uh, especially given your audience, is I have a free, a free resource. It's a self-assessment called the Entrepreneurial You Self-Assessment. And it actually helps people think through how to create multiple revenue streams in their own businesses. And so for, for scrappy uh, entrepreneurial people like those in the live entertainment industry, that might be helpful. Uh, and folks can get it at doryclark.com slash entrepreneur. Awesome. Well, Dory, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Dave. What a treat to talk to you. Oh, no, the pleasure's all mine. Come on. The flattery is my job. That's, we talked about that before. What did you think of my conversation with Dory Clark? Let me know. Send me an email. It's daviddavewakeman.com. Make sure you check out the resources that Dory mentioned at doryclark.com. I don't want to sound like I'm her PR agent, but she's great. Um, 
I think the world of Dory, uh, I'm so grateful that she spent the time sharing her ideas with us today. Uh, make sure you check out what I'm up to by visiting me at my website. It's DaveWakeman.com. You can find the blog, uh, all kinds of cr- crazy things up there right now. Uh, follow me on the social media. You make sure it's, um, I'm at David Wakeman on the Twitter. Uh, I can go back to making this joke now. We've had, a, we had enough time that I can make some jokes. If you know the guy who has the at Dave Wakeman Twitter handle, he hasn't tweeted since 2010, get it for me. Tell him I need it. Check me out on the LinkedIn. Just search my name, Dave Wakeman. I, I'll pop right up. Uh, make sure if you dig the podcast, thank you, first of all, but make sure you subscribe. We're on all the major podcast platforms, I believe. Um, and maybe share an episode with somebody. This one with Dory Clark is an exceptional example of how you should maybe, uh, give it to somebody who it would have an impact on, uh, over the next couple of weeks, I've got some really great people coming up. Uh, I just confirmed a conversation with another guy who is, um, fits a similar position to Dory where he talks about reinvention and he shares some of his experiences um, getting laid off or made redundant four times. Uh, But he's also a great marketer who focuses on travel and leisure, Colin Lewis. You know, so you don't want to miss it. So subscribe to the podcast, share it with people who might find value from the podcast. And if you're so inclined, leave me a review. It means a lot to me. It helps people discover the podcast. I don't know how these algorithms work. I just keep pumping out the podcast. So uh, do that for me. That would be helpful. Uh, make sure that you check out my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Like I mentioned before, it's at bookingprotect.com forward slash home. Go to the blog. There's some great stuff there. Uh, the, the article about rebuilding relationships after the pandemic from Kat Spencer is definitely worth your attention. Um Make sure you follow him on Instagram. Karen is doing a great job of posting really cool and awesome pictures and quotes to help keep people kind of in the right mindset, focused on things that um, are meaningful to all of us. So check them out, bookingprotect.com forward slash home. Make sure you check out the We Will Recover initiative. That's at wewillrecover.live. It is a project put together by Anar and Martin and the Activity Stream team. It is a great effort to consolidate ideas about recovery, reinvention, rethinking, revenue, all the important things that are going to help you and your business get back on its feet after the pandemic. Um, Great, great folks involved. Made Media, James, D, the whole team there, Um, Andrew and Carol at the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Birmingham, Joe and uh, Joe, Michelle and Angela Higgins from the TPC in Sydney, Australia, or Parramatta to be exact. Um, me, um, like I said, Activity Stream, QQ, uh, Intix, TRG, I forget so many people, and I use the same ones over and over. There's just like 20 something people and organizations from around the world that have given their time, their energy, uh, their efforts. You know, there's master classes. The very first one was me and Frederick Awad from Stay 22. So check that out. We will recover.live and check out the Activity Stream website at activitystream.com because Martin and the team have been working on some things that will be helpful uh, for helping you focus your data a little more coming out of the pandemic. So that's there. So check that out, activitystream.com. As I mentioned, if you are an American, you probably recognize there is an election coming up on the 3rd of November. Uh, I'm helping as much as I can in whatever ways I can, the IVotedConcerts.com efforts. Check them out, IVotedConcerts.com. There's a lady named Emily White who put this thing together. Um, she's fantastic. 
the organization's goal is to be a bipartisan home to make sure people get registered and can vote. Um, this year, uh, the right, the vote, uh, voting is just challenging, right? Because uh, I don't know when the last time we had to vote during a pandemic is, but this is unusual for folks. So uh, visit IVotedConcerts.com. Make sure you are registered to vote. If you can help, please do. You know, send me an email or send Emily an email or send the website an email. Uh, but make sure you register and vote. It's super important. It's, you know, the price of admission for a democracy. And um, Americans vote at a lower rate than I think any other Western country. So IVotedConcerts.com. Uh, make sure you check out my newsletters. Uh, the first one is a Friday one that's dedicated just to folks in the world of tickets and live entertainment. It's at TalkingTickets.Substack.com. Again, that's TalkingTickets.Substack.com. It's the Talking Tickets newsletter. It is um, really a cool thing. Five stories with analysis, action items, and ways that you can recover from the pandemic to the best of my ability right now, it seems like. But hey, um, it's nice to show up in people's inbox. It's nice to get to hear from people. Uh, so check it out, talkingtickets.substack.com. Also, if you are catching this because you don't necessarily work in live entertainment, but you heard that Dory was going to have a great conversation, I do another one that's based on strategy. It's called The Business of Value, and you can get that at businessofvalue.substack.com. Again, that's businessofvalue.substack.com, and that goes out every Sunday. Uh, lately, I've been focusing a lot on the reinvention, rethinking the value proposition, uh, how to market and sell in a pandemic, which is something I've had to learn on the fly myself. Um, you can get that. It comes out every Sunday. It's a great resource. It's probably the thing I've been doing the longest. So check that out at businessofvalue.substack.com. As always, uh, I know that this is a tough period for people. So if you need somebody to chat to, you just want to bounce an idea off of somebody, um, whatever, send me an email. It's Dave at DaveWakeman.com. I'd love to hear from you. i love to hear uh, what you've learned lately from the podcast. If you've enjoyed conversations like the one I had today with Dory Clark uh, or Mark Fowley from Audience View or, geez, I've had so many great people. Zoe Skamen from Bodacious, uh, Harold Hughes from Bandwagon. Uh, you know, let me know. DavidDaveWakeman.com. I'm here to be a resource for folks. Uh, check, you know, check in. Let me know how you're doing. As always, I want to thank you so much for being here. I couldn't do this thing without you. Um, until next time, take care of yourselves, and I'll talk to you again soon.